Welcome back to the Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Yule. And today we're joined by a band I've been admiring for a long time and I've seen perform at events like Woo Moon and the club that used to be Heart and is now called Club Chinois. But today, Stavros members Esperand and Hiet join me live on the line from Belgium. Boys, thank you so much for joining me here on the Reset Rebel podcast. Hello. Yes. Good to be here. Thank you. Now, forgive me if I'm wrong, um, but this is actually your first podcast appearance because I've been searching and I couldn't find anything other than DJ mixes of yours on the podcasting app. So if this is the case, I'm honoured to be your first podcast interview. You are indeed. You are indeed. We've had interviews in the past, but never in the shape of a podcast or anything. So so I think, you know, if we could just kick start with you telling me a little bit about your relationship with Ibiza. Do you want to do the honors, Esbrandt? How many years ago did it start and where did it start? I think uh, the first time when we when we went there was for uh, the Moon event uh, parties. Uh, I think it must be like six or seven years ago, Gert. Yeah, approximately. I think those woman parties were just starting, um, or was was one of the first editions that they were doing, uh, as far as I know, in uh, Cova Santa, which is what an incredible um, venue that is. Uh, and then afterwards, we went like uh, once or twice to more in the center of Ibiza. Uh, what's the name of that venue again? More for the locals. Las, Las Dalias. Yes, yes, exactly. Once, once we played in the in the market itself, and that was like super fun because the the music, like the music level, was really low, but like the energy of the people and the crowd was really nice. And the second time uh, we played in a venue called Akasha. Uh, and it's like a brand new uh, venue on Ibiza, I guess. And that was also like a, a nice experience, a super good sounding uh, club actually there. I think that was one of our first performances after COVID or as COVID was kind of, um, you know, reaching its end as far as it will ever be over. Uh, that Akasha show. Mm. And then, uh, yeah, we've had the honor to be invited by uh, Bedouin multiple times in the past years as well to play at heart. So that was uh, always a lot of fun to uh, to be there, to be with those fellas and, uh, and just, you know, having the opportunity to do to do what we like and not have to feel any reservation about how do we, like, are we going to reach the audience? Because that's always been something in, in Evisa that's been very, um, very easy on us. We could always come up with some, you know, not the usual things we would play in, in or how should I no let me let me rephrase we can always go a little bit further than we usually do especially in our dj sets people are open to it uh, to our to us uh, you know experimenting playing songs we've never played before and and it's great to have that freedom and to have that um uh confidence when when coming to the island I feel like, um, well, I was definitely there when you played Woo Moon uh, the first time. I definitely, definitely saw you. That's when you first came on my radar. And I feel like it was a really special gig because obviously it's outside, it's under the stars. It's always in relation to the moon in some capacity. Um, that's obviously why Woo Moon is called Woo Moon. And it's definitely full of woo-woo people, that's for sure. And I think that you got quite firmly acquainted 
with um, an older gentleman who walks around wearing a thong and dances on the stage. I heard you um, also saying in one of your previous interviews uh, when you were talking about the island in some of my research. Is this true? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I cannot... I cannot enter uh, the island without thinking of him. <laughs> it's, like, it's somewhat of a trauma, or at the same time, uh, very. it's a very pleasant trauma. <laughs> I still remember him walking around with this big golden uh, or gold-painted ashtray on his head, uh, where he wore it as a hat, just because... Just because, why not? You know, mm. he was quite the figure. I don't I have no idea what his name was uh, or still is, but yeah, <laughs> he's still alive. He's yes. still here. <laughs> I don't think many people remember him for his uh, his headwear. It's normally the fact that he's um, yes, he's got his entire human vessel on display, which is a beautiful. Beautiful thing, particularly when he's on stage dancing. He's very unforgettable. I mean, how would you describe the feeling when you arrive or you land in Ibiza um, from Belgium? What What's the differences that you kind of experienced when when you initially first started to come here? I must say, um, we never expected it, or at least I didn't. I never expected that our music would bring us to Ibiza. Um, of course, we do make some sort of dance music, and and to a certain degree, I'd say it's inevitable then to to end up there either as a fan or as a maker of the music. But it's something definitely surreal. I mean, it's an integral part of the dance music or electronic music culture. So when you do then exit the um, uh, the airport in Ibiza, it's um, it's something special, you know. It, it it I think it stays with every DJ or producer or or electronic music lover when when they put their first steps out of the airport and kind of feel the island and look back and see the airport itself and it's a it's, it might be even an image that stays with me more than than a view of nature or or a, a wonderful Airbnb I stayed at at the center of of, of Ibiza at, at some point in in holidays as well. So it, it definitely leaves a mark. Mm. What had you What had you heard about Ibiza before you came here? Yeah, I heard a lot of stories like when I was little, it was always a big dream to play there once. And then the first time when we arrived there, like was yeah, like oh, the same feeling what Hertz was uh, describing. Uh, and it's always nice to come back to, uh, to Ibiza. Uh, just like the weather is most of the time is the weather is super good. And like the people are there to have a good time. Uh, um, like two weeks ago we were there um, unfortunately the weather was not that great but we had a, a super nice time there so you're um, you know the immediate thing as you kind of mentioned um, Kiat was that you know you feel like maybe people here as opposed to where you kind of come from have like a, a slight sense of freedom about them is that is that something that you've kind of observed oh yeah I mean, just just the 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 wonderful euphemism you used early, earlier, you know the 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 what was it the vessel of uh, <laughs> of our older gentleman just being on full display. I mean that says something about about freedom. Mm. And I'm I'm uh, not that I want to. It, you know, it can be kind of a metaphor to a certain degree. Um, of, of the island, <laughs> indeed. Uh, but yeah, just the fact that you can do that—you're not frowned upon. Uh, no one, like it's, yeah, it's 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 a lovely metaphor 
and slightly disgusting at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that is in. I think it's wonderful to see that Ibiza has managed to keep that vibe mm. of that freedom, even mm. though some prices are. Uh, you want to go to certain clubs and you'll pay. I don't know. I, I don't know because I haven't gone. But I've heard stories, and yeah, it can. Um, I think it hurts people's wallets most definitely. Mm. But, you know, that's besides that's besides the point. Uh, that idea of freedom still lives there, and just simply the party culture, as it used to be. I believe it is still there, and and by the way. Um, Soul Wax has a lovely song about uh, Ibiza called uh, close, "Close to Paradise." Close to par closer or close to paradise? Close yes, to paradise. That they released just a couple years ago, uh, couple years ago, completely in Soul Wax style. And halfway the song, there's they there's a woman starting to explain about life in Ibiza and how it used to be and how it still is. And it's just, yeah, I recommend everyone to listen to it. It kind of, um, I'm, I can imagine it resonates with many people mm -hmm. and with the island itself. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. And it's a very nice track as well. I haven't heard it actually. I do love Soul Wax, so I will... Uh... I'll definitely dig that out and have a listen. I wonder, like, growing up in Belgium and starting out there musically, um, just, you know, that must have come with some challenges because I'm told there's, like, a general sense there that you're from a small country and maybe making it there perhaps feels a little bit harder um, as a musician than maybe it would be, you know, coming from elsewhere or somewhere like England, for example. Like, how did that kind of affect that initial initiation process if you like into kind of becoming a band or or making music well we um we do come from a small country we uh we cannot deny i think it's i think we found a way to turn this into our benefit we don't really have all those connections internationally with the electronic music scene or let me put it differently Belgium is very oriented on itself when it comes to the music scene. So if you make it as a Belgian band, you'll make it in Belgium. You will play the big festivals here. You will play the nice venues in Belgium. But there's only a tiny percentage of those big, uh, between parentheses, bands that make it outside of Belgium. Because simply their expertise is not there, um, and they're uh, and and they're not even attempting. So there's, like I said, they're very self, like they're very oriented inwards. While our approach was the opposite, we didn't really care much for what was going on inside of Belgium. Mm -hmm. We just immediately looked outside. And that is how the ball actually got rolling for us. Um, we were focusing as a band more on the DJ and club culture. So that was already an unusual position to start from. And then again, since we, we loved the DJ scene and the club scene and especially that music, there wasn't much of that in Belgium itself. So we would, you know, uh, I think most of our music that we checked was probably German and some English and some Spanish and some, you know, many, many European things, some American things, mostly not Belgian. So you automatically end up outside of, of, our, uh, of our tiny country. Um, and I think actually that is a, um, a missed 
step for for Belgian music industry. It has been growing ever since. I mean, we've been we've been performing for more than 10 years by now. And you can tell in the meantime, Belgium has, or Belgian artists have spread their wings outside of Belgium, but it's only been happening in the last 10 years, really. Look at Lost Frequencies, look at Stromae, um, and, and Solwax was one of the very few exceptions on this rule. Um, so yeah. It's been it's it has just been a recent uh, development. Look at Dimitri Vegas and like Mike, mm -hmm. Charlotte Witte, Amelie Lenz. It, these are all phenomena of the last ten years, not mm -hmm. more. So yeah, I'll I'll summarize by saying we're heading in the right direction. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I hope you don't mind me asking that question, but, I, you know, that's a conversation I've had with more than one uh, person in the last, yeah, six months who comes from Belgium, including uh, Peter Loredan, the, the basketball player, was recently on the series. And we had, you know, a kind of similar conversation about people from Belgium in general. Um, and, you know... I know, Elise Brand, that, you know, you started DJing more than 17 years ago. And after a few years, um, you decided to go and study audio engineering, as we were saying at the beginning. We were having a few sound issues. And that is where you two met. So what did you discover about each other initially that made you feel that you could form a band and make music together? Uh, so in uh, college, we were uh, actually living together and like we shared a, a house and we, we start to make music for fun, basically. And yeah, like suddenly when we were in the studio, like we felt a good connection between uh, the two of us. And uh, Maxim, our guitar player, he was uh, studying guitar on the same school. And uh, basically he joined for some, some sessions uh, to, to play in the studio, uh, to record some tracks and uh, then we start first as a, as more like a DJ project with a, a live a guitar a guitar player, but then uh, we met Peter and we we thought like it, it, actually it would be nice to have like to be a band being in a DJ culture and playing in nightclubs and stuff like that because we thought like people to give people more like entertainment instead of like just like DJ kind of of show our live set that we play is also like uh, it's not like a, a, a concert uh, of, a, of, a, of like a, a rock band we try to to like mix the the songs uh, together sometimes there will be like a break we 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 are saying some uh, some stuff to the the audience as well but like basically the main idea is that people that come to our uh, concert shows uh, to our uh, live shows and our concert shows are there to enjoy and dance it feels like you took a slightly um, alternate route um, into into the well the music together and and here you played trumpet and then got into electronic music and started DJing I think you know where did that kind of evolution come from to kind of um, go to a more live sphere from from DJing like what you know you said that that's kind of something you discovered about one another in terms of your musicality and your musicianship and the way that you crafted that sound but how did it you know how did you go from um, as you said, playing DJ sets to, to making live music? Well, we thought we could do it. Yeah. Um, we, <laughs> had the, we had the, the, the sound engineering education. So, uh, and then also the software and the hardware was coming to a point where we could, well, our software, hardware and our knowledge came to a point where we felt like if we work this out kind of properly we can all fit behind the DJ booth and just play our own song um, and we had some friends in, in our vicinity that were also performing at, at clubs basically or at, at um, electronic music evenings and they also played live, but 
of course, life, you take it with a grain of salt. Uh, it is triggering loops. It is adding some synthesizer on top of it. And it is, it is not as intensive as a regular rock band would, would perform. So, but we saw these friends perform, saw how they did it and just took some ideas from there and just shaped a rudimentary live setup where we would be very compact, very flexible and um, allow us to, to give a new dimension to performance uh, instead of just DJing. Um, and originally, actually, we just we just did it because we thought it would be fun to do it. Not to it was not the idea like yeah we're gonna have a big amount of shows now that we have found this this system of performing. It was actually even the opposite because we were in this DJ scene with four band members, and we were thinking like. Oh, <laughs> which promoter is going to book four flights, book four hotel rooms, get red, fix all the logistics, get all the backline, like who in his right mind is going to make the effort and pay all that money to, to get all this done. Uh, I myself also come from a background of promoting events. So if I would have come across with a band to come and perform at the at our events, I'd be like, oof. You know, I was already thinking like two flights for a DJ duo. Okay, fine, let's do it. Let alone four. Uh, so I was thinking the logistics are going to scare so many people off that we don't actually have any expectation when it comes to this. Uh, but, you know, we... We did it because we felt like maybe we can make something that is a little bit more unusual and lo and behold, uh, here we are 10 years further and you know we're traveling everywhere. People understand what we do. People are, festivals are adapting their stages, their DJ stages to have a proper stage in front of it so that we can properly perform there and have the space that we need. We don't need to huddle up behind the DJ booth anymore. So like the the scene itself has has welcomed us and has welcomed has welcomed any band that is kind of walking that fine line in between live and DJ performances or you know being there with a band. So it's it's a wonderful development to witness. It is, as it's you know, ten years is a you know a good length of time to kind of be together in that world. And I think you must have learned quite a lot about one another in the last decade. Can you? What's the biggest lesson that you think you've learned from each other as a band thus far? Nice <laughs> growth. Um. What is the biggest lesson we've learned about maybe the biggest lesson about being in a band together i think for me um empathy perhaps like um thinking think before you speak to a certain degree and and place yourself in the others shoes that has been has been a, a big lesson for me and something that i wouldn't really always would not have considered so very much in the beginning but you know as you are on the road together and you know there's frictions it's impossible to avoid you learn to see other standpoints and other ways of of you know, being in life or other ways of being. Mm. And sometimes it's it's really presented to you very, very closely. <laughs> I, I, I also think it's like super important to talk about like 
to to talk about all the frictions uh, and like just speak speak uh, speak about it uh, preferably after the show or like on a travel day uh, or on a day off uh, that's uh, the most important thing i guess mm. you obviously spent quite a bit of um time touring over the last uh well specifically in the last sort of year or so i mean on your website just before you move on i would love just one thing it says that you hail from the land of compromise and i'm just like what does that mean why what is you know where does that come from well um let me tell you the story of belgium (laughs) (laughs) we have how how many governments we have like 10 or 11 governments Oh, really? Uh, as in, um, ev- we have three official languages, mm-hmm. French, German, and Dutch, or Flemish, uh, which is our, let's say, dialect of Dutch. These uh, language areas have their own government. Then the area of Brussels, the area of Flanders, and the area of Wallonia have their own government as well. So we're already at six. Then there is the national government. Then there is... It's, okay. Even for a Belgian, it's hard to understand how our political system works, which means there is there are so many people involved in politics and there is so many talking, conversating, discussion, going in all directions, basically. Um, So this ends up in a system, in a country where there is not just one government deciding everything. There has to be always compromises. Compromises always have to be made uh, in order to keep every part of this country and every region, keep them all working together. Mm. Um, And that's why I think Belgium has such a peculiar role in Europe as well. It's because we have been trying to get along amongst ourselves since, since the 19th century. Uh, and I think we kind of are exporting that knowledge of talking and making compromise to the rest of Europe and, and the rest of the world. So, yeah. So maybe that's why you're so good at sorting out these uh, frictions that you mentioned. And um, I think like, I'm interested um, about which clubs that you used to frequent when you first started to party there, because you talk about, you know, coming from a, a club culture. Uh, and I think you're actually a little bit younger than me, or quite a bit younger than me. And I was at uni in Tilburg in Holland um, for a little while. And I used to drive from there to Antwerp to a, a club called Café d'Anvers in the Red Light District. And then again to a really crazy place. Um, I have no idea where it was, to be honest with you. It was all a bit of a haze called Zillion. And I wonder these days, like, where that could be compared to in Ibiza, maybe like DC-10 or what used to be Coup back in the kind of hedonistic days. Like, where did you... Where did you start going out? Where was the, like, the first time that you got into this kind of electronic vibe that you've obviously hoovered up and sponged into your music? Yeah, I've been to Café d'Anvers and uh, uh, Café d'Anvers Fuse, uh, like the, the, the most famous club in Belgium, actually. Uh, I've never been to Zillion because I was like too young and... Uh, <laughs> I heard, I heard a lot of stories about it, like uh, recently they just made like a, a movie about uh, Zillion. So I went to see it because like my parents and uh, told, told me about, uh, about this. Um, to compare a club in Ibiza uh, with Zillion, uh, uh, like... The thing is with with Zillion, like it was an the whole night was an experience. Like uh, it was also planned. Like at that time there will be some dancers. At that time there are gonna be some fire uh, and stuff like that. So I think like in Pasha or maybe like El Row parties is gonna be like the it's it's not only about the music but like the whole experience and the whole story of the night. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me about the movie. I need to. I need to hear what was it like. 
actually, it was a really nice movie uh, because uh, uh, they. Uh, it's about first of all it's about a club uh, like it's with like really good actors and like you can feel the vibe definitely in the in the movie about zillion and like um, i wish i, I could uh, go there once but like obviously too late <laughs> we, we have quite a few like clubbing culture has been very uh, prominent in, in in belgium since the since the 80s most definitely with uh, places like Café d'Anvers, fuse like Esbrand said, or Cherry Moon, Zillion. Um, and for me, the one that really stood out or that that really introduced me to the clubbing culture was Deca Dance in, uh, in Ghent, which is which was or still is. They, they stopped. Uh, like just before COVID, they uh, they had stopped, and now they reopened with a new owner. Uh, but that used to be the place for students in Ghent to go to, students that had a little bit more of a uh, alternative taste in in electronic music, and they would open, like for example, you could go there on on every day of the week. There was basically party. It was about maybe you'd fit four hundred people in the whole place. Three, three different rooms, four to five hundred people. Uh, one room was drum and bass. The other room was hip hop, and then the main room was house music or techno or stuff like that. And it would just remain open until twelve at noon the next day. So that was really awesome for the for the students, and at the same time, not the best thing for their grades. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, they they really were at the at the forefront of of uh, yeah many people's uh, discovery of alternative music here in Yen specifically is where both of us are living now. So uh, they they are they were really defining, I'm sure, for for many 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 people around here for I guess two and a half decades, almost three decades. That they were uh, that they were open. Mm. Interesting. I think the first night I ever had out, like ever in my whole life, was at the Roxy in Amsterdam, actually. And I don't think that exists anymore either, um, which is really sad. And I remember, like, actually, like knocking on the door and this little person sliding across a, a kind of like a window and like peering out to see, you know, if you look cool enough to get in. And I was obviously terrified that it. I was going to be turned away, but luckily I'd managed to um, to get in and it was incredible. I think it was a DJ called Eric E. I don't know if he's even still alive, but that was a, a very fun night. And definitely, as you say, grades were, um, yeah, I didn't do that well in that particular semester of my <laughs> university career, but it was fun and it was very worth it. Um, I mean, how did um, dance music play such a big part in obviously the music that you've made. I mean, obviously, Ginning was the first track that really broke through for you, particularly in France. It obviously had a, a big smash. And I think then you evolved um, into the making of that track. Where did you begin on that journey to actually putting together something that was congruent with the kind of, you know, the four of you and, and how did that sort of take shape initially? I think, um... We were very enamored by artists that were approaching electronic music in a subtle way, Dan electronic dance music in a subtle mm. way, because there's there's like for example the orb, which is subtle, but it is not it's not always dance music, let's say. Um, but at a certain moment, there were some producers that were really succeeding in in giving powerful subtlety to electronic music. And I think uh, the main example of this would be uh, Stimming, mm. the Hamburg resident German uh, who, who used to release on Dynamic uh, and is still doing wonderful things to this day and has actually recently made a remix uh, for one of the tracks on our, our album. Uh, he remixed Wintergreen. But he had this uncanny um, 
formula, or he had he had a, he had a formula of bringing sober, let's say soberness and emotion, a different type of emotion, to electronic music, and still have it be powerful at the same time. So we, you know, we we found that a very big influence. Especially when we started in with uh, beginning and finishing and these these tracks and everything that grew from there, it was um, uh, a very interesting development at that moment in electronic music. Another artist that was very good at it was a uh, uh, guy Borato, Guy Borato. Mm. Um, when he was, you know, releasing his first songs, or Trantemuller when he did the Last Resort, these were all artists that approached or had a different type of emotion connected to electronic music than what was generally played. You know, this was also around the time that minimal techno was um, was in its height. Let's say. And uh, we drew we drew a lot of inspiration from that, and, and we still do. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it like it showed to us that it was possible to bring emotion, uh, or at least you know a certain degree of well, like melancholy, for example, or nostalgia, onto the dance floor, which is also why we've kind of let's say located our music between the couch and the club. So I try to, to place it. <laughs> okay, interesting. I didn't expect you to say that, but I feel like, yeah, that, that sums things up quite nicely. I mean, the B-side on that was obviously the finishing and that, you know, is one of those tracks that I have listened to a lot of times, a hell of a lot. And it's kind of one of those things that kind of pops up on that end of year Spotify most listened to tables mm. that you get the, the roundup. Um, so who played the saxophone on that out of you guys? Was that somebody called in or was that one of you for? That was called in. Yes. Ah, okay. Yeah. That was actually before we decided to play live. Mm. So uh, we, we worked at that moment. We have several recordings in our earlier songs. Uh, with saxophone and with flute, and we worked with Nathan, Nathan in uh, English, Dams from uh, from Belgium here. Mm-hmm. Excellent, very bloody excellent musician, um, and uh, so excellent that he was actually in nine or ten bands already. So at some point we we went to him and we said like you want to come and play live with us and he's like sorry guys it's it's impossible I have so many uh, responsibilities already I'm in so many bands another one is plain and simply not possible which is which eventually spurred us on to be on the lookout for uh, for a fourth member and that's how we found Peter through common mm. friends and he has uh, brought fire to our life <laughs> in what way well in the way that he's his he sees performance in a different way than at least I used to and he opened my eyes um, when it comes to that when it comes to how how to do a performance, how to be on the stage, how to behave on the stage, uh, how to feel comfortable on the stage. Because I I used to be the DJ that, you know, that wouldn't even smile behind the DJ booth. You know, I would be focused and I'd be a little bit nervous. And uh, I, I, like, I, I didn't even realize people wanted to see a DJ having a good time as well. It 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 works. Um, uh, it's contagious, you know, in a good way, obviously. So Peter kind of waltzed into our lives with this joie de vivre, uh, with 
with um, yeah good energy and he like he and it gets his good energy gets multiplied once he he is on a stage so like yeah that's that's the place where he belongs and there's so much to learn from that which which is also kind of ties into one of the main things I've learned <laughs> in being with a, a band for, for 10 years. Which is? Which is finding your place on a stage mm. and being comfortable with being there. And um, yeah, I'm feeling, feeling good in that place and don't feel judged. And that is not always in, that was a difficult lesson to learn, I believe. But mm -hmm. that was Peter's uh, lesson to me. What about you, Liz Brandt? Yeah, like um, um, exactly the same, like Peter puts, uh, puts on, on Stavros uh, a big uh, uh, like rock and roll feel. And like uh, definitely to be with them on stage as well is like uh, it gives me energy to see him performing and to see him sweating. Like I'm, I, I'm <laughs> yeah, that that give me gives gives me a lot of energy. So uh, that's 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 really nice. And the people also feel the sweat and feel the energy he's putting into, into the company. So that's super nice. He's putting his back into it. <laughs> we have a, we have a nice little anecdote. We were playing a uh, a couple months back. We were playing in Copenhagen, and obviously we've come we uh, we're used to having people uh, people having Peter sweat quite a bit on stage because he like, he he throws everything out there. But this particular club uh, it was um, uh, Rust in Copenhagen. It was small, it was warm, like very warm. <laughs> and uh, it was he, he, like, after even after 10 minutes, it seemed like he just stepped out of the shower with all his clothes on. He was drenched, <laughs> drenched so badly that the, the, the in-ear monitoring, so he wears like earbuds in um, which he hears what he's doing properly. Uh, they disconnected because of the because of the water because of the sweat. So he could no longer hear himself play <laughs> because of how wet he was. <laughs> well, you can't criticize him for um, not putting any effort in. Is yeah, exactly. uh, yeah, it's exactly. not something that I've witnessed firsthand. I need to I need to see him in action. Um, I think, you know, obviously Belgian people from my experience and I've, I've, yeah, I'm surrounded by Belgian people here, very kind of understated. I mean, Soul Wax, definitely not understated. Um, but I feel like, yeah, how did you cultivate then this feeling of being more comfortable on stage other than just meeting the fire and, and sweaty back of Peter? I think just uh, the frequency of, of playing often ending up on that stage and feeling more comfortable as you do it more, feeling more comfortable with your instruments mm. um, and having someone that shows how you can be comfortable helps. Eventually it's up to yourself to, to, um, to behave or uh, to behave, to, to behave the way you do. Um, but it's a yeah, it's a combination of, of several factors, and and those who are around you on the stage, obviously, you steal with your eyes, and you. Uh, um, but it's a yeah, it's it's been definitely, especially for me, it's been a slow process. I mean, it would not be the first time that fans in in front of me in the audience would like point with their fingers to their mouth and like lift the sides of their <laughs> mouth like in order to like to point out to me like dude smile <laughs> so that happened more than once <laughs> well i would be like offended almost you know what 
let me do my job, you know. <laughs> let me behave the way I want to. That's, uh, yeah, uh, some, some introvertedness there that had to be turned inside out, I guess. <laughs> That is quite a classic, though, I think, for DJs, because obviously you spend a lot of time in your bedroom, in the studio, you know, making music, and then suddenly you're catapulted, like, in front of hundreds of thousands of people. And I guess unless you're playing live, you know, I I don't know. I don't know the exact art of DJing. I'm not a DJ, but, I, you know, there's a lot of knob twiddling and, and cross-fadering, and, but it's like, well, how much, you know, there's got to be a bit of showmanship, right, to, to keep the audience enraptured, I think, to a degree. So that's very interesting that you that you point out that was a, a process of, yeah, of receiving that message and understanding what the audience kind of needs to keep them engaged. It's um, an intriguing journey that you've been on. I mean, on a, on a stage like Coachella or any of these massive, whacking great big festivals that you've been playing, um, Puckle Pop, or is it Pink Pop, I think, is when I, I went to in Belgium once upon a time or Holland, I can't remember which it was. I mean, what does that feel like when you're on stage compared to, you know, these humble beginnings and suddenly there's like, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people there? Yeah, it's like, especially Coachella was like a super crazy experience because that week it was the sixth show. Uh, like we, 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 started, we started our tour in uh, doing uh, three shows in Germany and then we uh, flew to Miami and then I think we did New York and then the day after we played Coachella so it was like super weird schedule but like eventually after the show we were like okay we want to check this band and, and that band but we all fell asleep and like the Belgium station was calling us to do an interview but nobody of us was picking up the phone and like it, it was it's what it's it's a big experience to play there and like uh, as soon as they they asked us and invited us and booked us to play there we were like okay like we're gonna play Coachella I must say it was not my most favorite show but like the experience was like totally worth it why was it not your most favorite because like I, I, I really like the, the uh, like small, cozy, uh, cozy kind of vibes. I, I like I want to be like close to the audience, close to uh, the people. And like Coachella is like totally the opposite. Like you're super far away from the crowd and it's m more difficult to make a connection with the audience instead of like being in a, in a small place of three, four hundred people and are surrounded uh, by people. So um, I enjoyed it, but I prefer like more like a cozy festival, cozy club uh, instead of like massive. Yeah, the, the big festivals are like the milestones that you're like, oh, what the hell? Yeah, we get to play there. But yeah, like you mentioned in your in your question, the difference between the small ones is just the coziness. And you can almost literally measure it uh, by the meter or by the yard or, you know, whatever measurement of or, or unit of measurement you use the closer you are to the audience the more pleasant it becomes for everyone involved and mm. uh, and we 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 do an a festival here in Bel belgium annually called weekend dance where we've been um curating the lineup now as well for a couple of years it's a very nice festival um and they we play there once at the, on the smallest stage and i think we're now in our fifth or sixth year playing there and we're still playing on the smallest stage but Aww. and i'm not saying this as as a bad thing like the i'm not talking about this like there is no growth or anything it this is how we wanted it they have offered us a bigger stage and we've said no never mind this that tent right there makes so much sense. People can stand around us. We are really like the audience is breathing 
in our neck. When we when I move too much sideways, I will be touching the audience. You know, so that is and and as a result, these shows are also super high energy, high high reward, high high experience. Like, yeah, it's um. It's almost a little bit like a, um, yeah, almost like an orgasm, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, well, I'm sensing the, the high vibes that you're uh, kind of uh, emanating from that, yeah, experience. I've not been to that festival. Maybe it's something I need to pop on my list for the summer. I am coming over to Belgium in August. But I think, like, in terms of the commercialization factor i mean obviously you guys set up your own label mood family um what is like something like coachella do for you with a debut album out now and obviously a few eps as well like did that change anything in terms of like sales or you know exploding you into the stratosphere like what was the plan is there a plan to kind of you know i know you love the cozy vibes and and getting up close and personal with the audience but you know what would that mean to you or is that kind of in the in the vision for the future to smash America, to get bigger. Do you care? Mm, um, I don't know if it changed all that much when it comes to sales of music or anything. Um, but it, like I, like I mentioned before, it's a milestone. So it is helping us. It is helping our credibility. As a as a band, because we we can manage it. You can put us on a big stage, and we or a Coachella type stage, and we will pull it off. You know, we we feel comfortable also now uh, on stages like that. Um, but we did not like. We didn't have an entire marketing strategy attached to that performance. Uh, we considered it a, honestly, actually a performance like any other. Mm. Um, of course, the name weighs more heavily than, than other festivals, perhaps. Um, so it would be kind of silly if we didn't, wouldn't take any advantage of it. Like, I mean, if you're gonna ask us, where have you played? I will say, well, we've played Coachella because mm. people know Coachella. Like people know Tomorrowland. Like people know, you know, you name it. Um, Bonnaroo or uh, 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 so many out there, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, it's um, like I said, we didn't honestly make this into a such a big deal or connect any marketing strategy to it um but indirectly it's a milestone and it helps you along the way further down the line mm. and obviously for press uh it's very pleasant for for the story that you can tell them mm. and we also go to belgian radio here or belgian um uh, newspapers and they'll be like oh the one Belgian band you didn't know existed <laughs> and plays, in, uh, plays at Coachella. Or last year we had this uh, this article uh, that called us the best kept secret, the, the best kept musical secret of, of Belgium. So, uh, you know, it helps directly and indirectly, most definitely. And we would be silly not mm. to take some advantage of it at least. Yeah. Mm. What is the plan with the label? Are you literally keeping it exclusive for your own material? Are you developing other musicians alongside you? Or, are you, you know, is it just to have more freedom of your own kind of production and, and to support other artists? Yeah, basically, um, when we started Mood Family, uh, we, we thought about to have like a, a platform for uh, musicians uh, from from friends of us, like even for for ourselves, because we noticed when when it comes to release schedules, like labels are planning a lot 
uh, ahead of time and like uh, on certain points we want to have like a total control of like artwork who's going to be the remixers uh, when we want to release like now the the benefits of having mood family is like if we make tomorrow something a nice track and we want to have it out in a couple of weeks we can manage it like we, mm. we we can ask our designer to make an artwork and be in like two three weeks it's on spotify um we also want to want to push like uh, more like the the friends uh, that make music around us as well and like we always uh looking for new artists to be part of our uh, little crew. Um, and yeah, I think... Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's, it's, um, it's just fun to do as well, to, to have a label and to... Given the fact that both of us are DJs, we have the tendency of exploring music and sometimes you come across with an artist that you're like holy shit uh this deserves a this artist deserves a bigger you know uh, a bigger platform yeah. and it's just a pleasure at that moment to be able to work or to, to chat with that artist and and see what his or her plans are and just to tell that artist our experience yeah. and and uh, and embark on on a journey together to to get that music of that artist that we love out there for other people to also enjoy um, and we don't necessarily want to connected to Stavros or anything, you know, Mood Family, okay, we, we, we are amongst the people that run it, but we don't necessarily want people to connect Stavros to every release that is on there because they are their own creation. They are their own music. Um, and uh, we don't want to... Um, um, taint that uh, and yeah um, I think maybe we listen also a little bit differently to to music which allows us to have a little bit of a yeah a, a different um, approach to electronic music I mean, the approach that we have used in Stavros, we we can also adapt that for the label or, or import that into the label, which gives us a different view than many other electronic music labels, mm. um, especially those that are more club-oriented. I mean, if you will go and listen to the, the catalog of Mood Family, you will find that we're not all about just dance music. It, it goes in different directions. I'm sure you will find a common ground somewhere, but that common ground doesn't have to be four to the floor, 117 till 125 BPM or something like that. It, it, mm. it lies elsewhere, elsewhere. That's why it's called mood family as well. You know, mm. collection of people that live music. I don't want to say differently because I think everyone lives music differently. But no, I will say differently. <laughs> <laughs> I will say differently by lack of a better term. Um, for example, uh, when we talk to an artist that we would that would love to release on on the label, or that we would love to have him or her release on our label, but they're not really sure what they should send us, we just tell them, send us whatever you wouldn't want anyone else to listen to. 
like the what you think is the weirdest thing you've ever made let us listen to it i am very curious how far your mind goes when when you're making music and that is like that is like it can feel like addressing uh like you're putting everything out there like this is the weirdest shit i make at 4 a.m on a wednesday on a wednesday morning you know uh and like it's it's a little bit like showing yourself naked and um uh <laughs> but but you can learn so much from that from from those twists in people's taste and it's those twists that we want to find and that's why i said like yeah we want people you know to be different and and we want to support that differentness but that sounds so very generic so that's why i had to kind of give this little extra information <laughs> i'm glad you uh, yeah got some clarity on that for us and um, we've gone from orgasms to getting undressed i'm i'm loving this conversation but unfortunately it has to end because it's been a whole hour and um, i'm very grateful that you would make um time for this conversation and to say yes to the very first podcast finally are, are you coming to ibiza again at all this summer is it is it just the one gig this year uh normally it was just uh, the one gig we already did so uh, i hope uh, maybe there they gonna add uh, another one but i'm not sure about it i hope so okay fingers crossed <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm sure you've got a busy summer lined up. When is Weekend Dance? It's a uh, half of August. Uh um, oh, no, the beginning of the beginning of August, August 5. Okay, cool. Amazing. Thank you. Um I will keep an eye on that and see if I can get over there for it. But in the meantime, um have a lovely afternoon and thank you for joining me here on thank the podcast. You. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Rebel. Coming to you every day.